We uh, turn today to the book of James, chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 12. Actually beginning a, a journey through the book of James, a very practical book. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would apply these words to our lives today, that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, we believe your word is everlasting truth. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Do you know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? <laughs> Sounds similar, right? They begin with the same word, thermo. And yet, there's a, there's a pretty significant difference, isn't there? In my porch, in our house, we have a thermometer. And all that that th thermometer does is measures the temperature. If it goes up or down, that thermometer changes. In our house, we have a thermostat. The thermostat's a little bit different. A thermostat regulates temperature, doesn't measure temperature, it regulates temperature. We set our thermostat at the temperature we want it to be, and if it's working right, it's going to stay there. We love that in the winter. We love it in the heat of summer, right? We can set that baby right where we want it to be, and, and there it is. I'd suggest to you that many people are like thermometers. They are up and down depending on the circumstances of life. And with some people, it is so obvious how their day is going because you can see it written on their face. I remember a time I was standing in line, I think it was at Walmart, and the line was long, and then the light went on, you know, calling a manager to come. And there was a man standing behind me. 
And you could tell his day was not going well. He's going, oh, 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 now what? You know, you just on and on and on. And I felt in my old nature, I have to tell you, I felt like turning around and saying to him, having a good day? Huh? Having a good day? I didn't do it because I thought he was about ready to explode. But this man illustrated the thermometer. Depending on when the day's going, he's up, it's good. If it's down, it's just the opposite. Well, James, as he identifies himself in verse 1 and then describes his audience, then he begins the body of his sermon, his letter, with quite a statement. Just, just think of what he says here in verse 2. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, doesn't that kind of take you back? And it's like, James, do you really mean this? Are you serious? <laughs> do you think that I can really count it all joy when I'm facing various trials? It's kind of a, 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 a would we say a shocking statement, or at least it causes us to say, whoa, wow. <laughs> Consider it all joy. Is it possible to, to live that way? We might ask the question, uh, considering it all joy when various trials come our way. So it's not just one kind of, of challenge. There are, there are various things that come our way, aren't there? Maybe this week you faced some of those things that came your way and it's like, wow, I didn't expect this. And maybe you say, I don't really like this either. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? That's, that's our, our flesh. That's our human nature. So James, in his very practical way, tells us three things about facing trials. And the first one is this, that God has a purpose in trials. God has a purpose. He makes it clear right from the beginning that trials are inevitable. Have you discovered that? Trials are inevitable. And James doesn't say, if they come. Did you notice the word he uses? He says, when. When they come. As if to say, we will encounter trials, and they will come in various forms. And so, what's the lesson? Don't be surprised when they come. In fact, we read from 1 Peter 4 this morning. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised. At the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange, some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Now, if trials were just purposeless events in a random world where there is no God who is in control of, of all that happens in our lives, then it would be very difficult, wouldn't it, to consider it all joy when they come? But James tells us that trials are not purposeless. We don't live in a random world. God has, doesn't He, some things that He may want to teach us and guess what? Sometimes it's only through trials 
that some lessons are learned. Would you agree with that? You look back on your life and, and some of the circumstances you went through and you wouldn't want to go through them again, right? It's not like, Lord, bring it on. But you look back and you say, you know what? I needed that. I didn't like it at the time, but I needed that. And God used that in my life. And so what does God want to do in our lives through trials? At least one of the things that James talks about here is developing in us spiritual maturity. Verse 2, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. And then verse 3 begins with this statement, Knowing that. Here is something we know. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then he says, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when you see the word perfect there, he's not talking about sinless, that we reach some point of perfection. That word emphasizes maturity, reaching the goal that God is producing in us endurance and maturity. Now, what's the natural result when trials come? Isn't the natural result is to try to do whatever we can to get out of that difficult situation? Or to somehow, you know, God make the trouble go away? I don't want this. I don't like this. I don't need this. The word endurance is an interesting word. It means literally to remain under. And it pictures one who isn't trying to escape every difficult situation that comes their way. Rather, persevering through what God is using to test us, because we know that trials really don't work against us. God is using them to work for us. Now, we think the opposite. We think, this is against me. This is painful. This is difficult. Why would you bring this against me? And God is saying, just a minute here, this is going to work for you. This is going to produce something in you that may not be able to be produced in any other way. That endurance, that remaining under. Now, James isn't the only one that uh, gives this message, just so we remember, right? Romans 8, 28, what does it say? And we know, right, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. We might feel that, right? But we know that. Why do we know that? Because God's Word declares to us that that is indeed the case. And so we can know that, that God does that. And I think of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Paul says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all Comparison. So we need to get that straight, that these trials are not meant to work against us, but to work for us, because God wants to refine us. God wants to shape us. God wants to mold us. God wants to mature us through these trials. And that's why James says, let endurance have its perfect work. Don't fight this. Let endurance have its result. So have you seen God's purpose? Looking back in your life, have you seen God's purpose working it out through some of the the challenges you faced in life? 
I do. I, I look back on some of the things that, that I didn't, I have to tell you, I didn't like it. And it's not like I want to go through it again, but it's like, you know what, God, you taught me something through that. I don't know if I would have learned it any other way. And we can come to the place where we can say, thank you, Lord. Because the work that you've begun in me, you're going to complete it. And part of that is, is going through some of the challenges of life. So, so God has a purpose in trials. And James says this is something that we know. We know that. Because God has made that clear in His Word. The second thing He tells us here is that God gives wisdom in trials. God gives wisdom in trials. When facing times of trials, uh, what do we usually pray for? What's usually our first response? Lord, get me out of this. <laughs> Or, Lord, take this away. Remove it from my life. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking God to, to remove a trial we're facing. Sometimes that's what God does in His mercy, His grace, as a testimony to His glory. And we praise Him for that, right? You've gone through some of those situations where you prayed and God removed that. We thank Him for that. But there are other times... When God doesn't take the trial away. And we could look at many examples in Scripture. I think of Paul as he describes in 2 Corinthians 12, his thorn in the flesh. Remember that passage? And he said, I, 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 I implored the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord three times that, that it might leave me. What did God say to him? Remember? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in what? Weakness. Weakness. Have you discovered that in your life? In some of the, the weakest times of life, God's power was, was perfected in you, was manifested in you in, in such a, a marvelous way because you were more dependent, right? We're more dependent on Jesus when we face these times. At other times, when things are going well, I mean, we're just sailing along and we're not really focused on the Lord like we ought to be. And so... These trials come that way. And Paul says, my grace, or the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul's response to that is really quite amazing. He says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The world doesn't understand that statement, do they? But we do. We who know Jesus understand that because it is in our weakness that we come to Him in our absolute dependence on Him, in the midst of whatever it is we're facing. Broken. And Jesus, He'll be there, right? He will meet us in that time of, of brokenness. So if God doesn't remove the trial we are facing when we pray, then, then what, what, do, what do we do? 
I think James is, is telling us in, in verses 5 through 8, he's telling us that we ought to ask for wisdom and then to believe that God will give it. Because he's making a contrast here. Verse 5 says, but. Okay, There's a contrast being made here. In the midst of these trials, you might discover something. You might discover that you lack wisdom because you don't know what to do. And that is true, isn't it? How many times have you faced a situation in your life say, I don't even know what to do? What do we do? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. What a picture, huh? For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The reason why we need to ask for wisdom in times of trial is because that's when we have a lot of questions, don't we? A lot of questions. Why is this happening to me? Huh? When is this going to end? Why did this have to happen now? <laughs> All kinds of questions that, that come our way. And so maybe the wisdom we need the most in times of trial is the wisdom to understand what, Lord, are you wanting to teach me? What is it that you want to produce in me? Otherwise, we can go through a painful trial and fail to learn the lesson that God wants us to learn. And there are people like that who become bitter, right? Bitter instead of better. Because they're not seeking God's wisdom and saying, Lord, what is it that you want to do in my life? Warren Wearsby makes this comment. He says, why do we need wisdom when we are going through trials? Why not ask for strength or grace or even deliverance. He says for this reason. We need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities that God is giving us to mature. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances for our good and God's glory. And then he tells about a, a, a secretary of his who was going through a, a time of trial and... and um, she had had a stroke, and, and her husband had gone blind, and, and then he was taken to the hospital, wondering if he would even live. And He says he saw her at church one Sunday, and he said, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm praying for you. And she said, what are you asking God to do? He said, it kind of startled me. He said, I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you. Where did we say? You know what her answer was? She said, I appreciate that. But pray about one more thing. She said, pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. I thought, wow, what a, what a prayer. Pray that I will have the wisdom not to waste all of this. All that she's going through, that, that God would do something in her life that would draw her to Jesus uh, mature her in her relationship with Him. Not wasting the challenges of life, but learning uh, through them. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. He will give 
wisdom. And one of the things that wisdom gives to us in times of trial, and other times too, is, is that wisdom gives us perspective. It helps us to see things from God's perspective rather than from the world's perspective. You see, some of those to whom James was writing were facing some difficult challenges, some financial struggles. And from what I've read, it's quite likely that people were boycotting the businesses of those who were Christians. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar, huh? We're just going to boycott anybody that doesn't agree with us. And that's, from what I've read, what was likely happening in in that time. And and so James has something to say to them about that. In verse 9, he says, The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. (laughs) Kind of an interesting statement. Here, Here you're struggling financially, humble circumstances. And James says, you really have a high position. What does he mean by that? Though they were financially poor, they were spiritually rich in Jesus. And James says, you need to remember that. Without that perspective of of God's wisdom, it would be hard, wouldn't it? To be facing uh, those kinds of of trials with with joy? James says you you need God's perspective in this. But he also has something to say to the rich. The rich need God's wisdom, God's perspective as well, because they tend to take pride in their riches. They need to know that this life is very uncertain. It is very temporary. Notice what he says to the rich. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation. So there's just the opposite, right? The poor man is to joy in his his exaltation, and the rich man, whom we look at as up here, is to glory in his humiliation. And James goes on to describe what he means by that. Because the flowering grass, he's like that, and he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and, and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. Then he says, so too the rich man. In the midst of his pursuits, gathering all this wealth, what's going to happen? He's going to fade away. He is going to fade away. In other words, things might be going well for the rich man today, but what hope does he have for tomorrow? Things can change like that, right? There was a young woman who was visiting an aged man who had been a friend of her father. And this man was wealthy. He had grabbed everything he could get his hands on in life. And in the eyes of the world, success, right? He was successful. So when he asked this young woman about her father, she explained to him that life had been quite a challenge for him. And yet, she said, he has been so patient in suffering and he could look forward to the future whether he lived or died. And that kind of struck this unsaved rich man. And he said... You wonder why I cannot be as joyful too? 
He said, but think of the difference. He is going to his treasure and I must leave mine behind. There's the difference, right? You know, Jesus, you're headed toward your treasure. <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, you're, you're leaving everything that you value behind. And there is a huge, huge difference. So do you have the kind of wisdom that gives you the proper perspective in life? Maybe it's time to say, God, give me wisdom. Help me to see things as you see them. It's so easy to be become an influence by the, the values of the world that we start thinking like the world thinks. God, give us your wisdom. And he says, he'll give it to you. You trust him, he will, he will give it to you. The third thing he says about trials then is that God blesses those who persevere in trials. Quite the contrast made between the unsaved, the rich man, his future is, is really hopeless apart from Jesus. He's like grass that's scorched. Uh, when he dies, he'll fade away and, and then judgment. But notice what's in store for the believer, the one who perseveres in trials. Verse 12, it says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once, he has been approved. Here's the promise. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. It is true that the trials of life have a way of shaping us, but it is also true that the, the trials of life have a way of revealing what we are, don't they? Trials test us to show us whether our Faith is real or not. We see that in verse 12 where James speaks of the one who perseveres under trial as having been tested and approved. He will receive the crown of life, the one who has been approved. It's an interesting word, the word approved. It was, it was used to describe the testing of metals like gold or, or silver. The metal were, were heated by, by fire, and then if there was any impurities, they would, would rise to the top. And so that fire had a way of showing, was that gold or silver genuine? Was it real or was it, was it not? And so what James is saying here is that trials have a way of testing us. And when we come through those trials better instead of bur bitter... <laughs> James says that, that shows that your faith is, is real. It's, it's genuine. You've been approved. Reminds us of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 6 he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Why? So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And that's really what Peter is saying here. He says, the one who has been approved will receive the crown of life. 
which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. There's a couple of Greek words that are translated crown. One is a regal crown, the crown of a, a king. And then there's this word, we call it the victor's crown. It's the word Stephanos. Uh, Stephen is related to that word, the vic, vic, victor's crown. And it was worn by victorious athletes. Are there any victorious athletes here from alumni tournament yesterday? <laughs> any of you on the winning? Anybody on the winning team? Champions? Then you really need to hear this message because that's probably a trial that you're facing today, right? The crown, the victor's crown. It was usually just a wreath made out of some kind of uh, plant or whatever placed on the head. So it wasn't, you know, valuable in and of itself, but it was a symbol, right? It was a symbol of the athlete's victory. And when things got tough, that's often what would drive the athlete along, right? There's a goal in mind. There's this championship. There's this crown. There's this awesome rejoicing when we're standing there. You know, we're number one, right? Any of you have been able, able to do that? We're number one, not number two. We're number one. So when things get tough in the trials of life, do we not need an eternal perspective? Do we not to, need to live in light of one day standing before God? I think that's what, what James is getting, in, getting at here. Um, we live in light of eternity. That makes a difference in how we face life, doesn't it? Our uh, cross-country team here at Heritage, uh, one year on their... T-shirt. They usually have some kind of a saying for each year. One year it said, pain is temporary, quitting is forever. <laughs> I thought that's an interesting... Yeah. Notice what Jesus faced. Hebrews 12 describes to us that we are to run with endurance the race set before us. And then the writer says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before Him? The end of the race, right? Once again, dying, rising again, ascending back to the Father, at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer says, For consider Him who endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. One day we're going to come to the end of the race. And some of us probably sooner than later. And just think, to stand before God, can you imagine what that day will be like? And to live in light of that day, what Christ has done to save us and to mature us and bring us to that place where we stand, as, as Jude says, before His throne, faultless, faultless with, 
with great joy. That's what James is saying here. Blessed is the one who endures this, trials of life, and receives the crown of life as we stand before the Lord. There's a woman by the name of Esther Kerr Rustoy, if I pronounced it right. She was an author, a poet, a composer, a singer, and she wrote a number of books and hymns. But there was one song she wrote in 1941, the one she's probably the best known for. And when you realize that she was a woman who suffered ill health, she died in 1962 at the age of of just 53. Here's what she wrote. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon appear to catch His bride away, all tears forever over, in God's eternal day. Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light, We're tossed and driven on, no human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problem. Just go to Him in prayer. Life's day will soon be o'er. All storms forever past will cross the great divide to glory safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burden down. You know the chorus? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. And how does it end? So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I remember a lady that shared with a friend of mine. She said, you know, when, when I get to heaven, she said, there's some questions that I'd like to ask the Lord. And then she paused and said, but you know what? She said, I don't think it'll matter then, will it? And my friend said, no, I don't think it will matter at all when we see Jesus. So we run. We run, fixing our eyes on Jesus, trusting in Him, praying for His wisdom, waiting for that day when we stand before Him and see Him face to face. song that was popular a few years ago, I can only imagine what a day that will be. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the glory of that day. The day when we stand before you, faultless with great joy. You are the one who is able to keep us from falling. And Lord Jesus, we look to you today that you would help us in the trials, the various trials that come our way. Knowing that you have a purpose in them. Knowing, O God, that you give wisdom as we face those trials. And and knowing, O God, that we stand before you one day. In in light of your glory and grace, we rejoice in what you have done for us. So, Lord, give us grace to, to run the race till that day that we see you.
face to face. In Jesus' name we pray.